Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, in our last conversation, we discussed what each person needs as an individual. And we came up with four kind of universal needs. Food, clothing, shelter, and work. And then we got into a conversation about what politics are trying to accomplish, which goes into two facets, production and distribution. On this portion, we're going to talk specifically about the production standpoint and try to come in from a baseline without political slant, just kind of saying that this is the way that it is. Again, going back to the human needs that all of us have. And just to make sure I don't go too far, when we were going through the virtue series, a lot of the virtues that we hit upon were not isolated to just Catholics or even Christians. A lot of them predated everything. They were kind of natural order, Aristotle type things. So when we talk about food, clothing, shelter, and work, are those Christian Catholic concepts or are those kind of natural law the way it is concepts, just as a starting point? Yeah, and uh, food, clothing, and shelter would be universal. And then insofar as possible, you know, we have to shape the understanding of work a little bit. Obviously, babies um, are, are not obligated to work, but we still need food, clothing, and shelter for them. So just to contextualize that slightly. But for somebody who is able to work, the, the right to work and the need to work are, are part of our human nature. You know, there was work in paradise, and in a certain way, there will be work in heaven, you know, without the toil. So we so often associate toil with work that it's hard for us even to separate those. But the toil is a consequence of the fall. Anyway, um, food, clothing, and shelter are the real basic ones. Um, but yeah, the what, what do they talk about? The in, in Spanish, it becomes the three T's. Uh, you know, uh, so land is also included in that as a as a kind of need. And anyway, uh, in terms of so, just to say, there's there's a little bit more we could s sketch out in that space. And that's what things like the UN Charter on Human Rights would have done, or has done for the human race. So that's not just Christian, it's not just Catholic. Now there are also, and it's actually the Vatican that helped to formulate a lot of that. So certainly that's consonant with and, and driven by uh, a lot of uh, Catholic thought. Now I can't, you know, I haven't studied these particular things. Some of the Charter of Human Rights may have included some things that are non-Catholic at this point in terms of, I don't know, gender ideologies or something like that. There, there may be some other things that have been inserted in there in more recent times. But when that was originally drafted, oh gosh, I don't know, I want to say back in the 50s or something like that, maybe even earlier. Um, well, the, if it was the UN, it would have been uh, after World War II. So anyway, when that was originally drafted, it was certainly something done very much in concert with uh, the Vatican, with the Vatican's input. And you'd find very Catholic values there, and you'd find that it's also universal. Uh, that's their human rights, and it's a human approach to human rights. Um, so uh, anyway, I think that answers your question. It, it does. And mostly where I'm trying to come from is saying that this isn't 
something that we're just trying to push an ideology down people's throats. This is the way that it is. So I did want to take a minute, though, since this conversation today is going to be about production, to to, to kind of dive down into what the work element is. Because as you said, obviously, if you're a baby, you can't even lift your own head. You're not going to be <laughs> going out and doing work. But at the same time, doing stuff and preparing yourself to get better whenever you're in schooling and training. Um, essentially, that's what school is, is training to be ready for the real world to work. So I wanted to, to kind of dive through each of those sections and why it's important to do. So much of us have this desire to avoid work, possibly because of the toil that you just described there. But some people just don't like getting out of bed. So I wanted to to get on to why it's important and why it's necessary before we take our next steps into the production aspect. Yeah, who who are those people, Joe, who don't like getting out of bed? Um, I'm I'm not sure. I know I know them. Uh, to be quite honest, there's a there's a need that all of us have to do something. And often, if we don't want to get out of bed, I mean, a lot of times there's some uh, some psychological things in that, and in that way, uh, the the analogy well. You know the capacity, really, the emotional capacity, or, or some of the, the woundedness that we may carry, some of the discouragement and and brokenness that we have. I mean, it it really is a human drive. There are people who don't want to eat either. You know, um, and then we call that anorexia. You know, it's a, that's a reality, but we don't sort of shape our our ideals, our con- our concepts around the the disordered approach to it. We, we recognize there's a fundamental human need, a human drive to do things, to be productive, to make a gift of ourselves ultimately. And that's where we have to look a little bit at what work is. We may have some mental concept of work, which is a little too narrow. Uh, I don't do a lot of manual labor. I mean, uh, but uh, I do a lot of work. My work is the work of listening to people and meet with a lot of people one-on-one the work of, of teaching, the, the work of, you know, offering some teaching through a podcast with you. You know, this is, there's a way that this is also work in that sense. Um, so work is, is a way of doing things to express ourselves, to make a gift of ourselves, just to broaden that concept a little bit. And the opportunity to do that is important for our humanity. Our humanity doesn't develop unless we have ways of going out of ourselves and engaging people, offering our gifts, uh, engaging in, with the world, fighting against matter in order to make it into something intelligible. We need to have a, a realm in which to act out our ideas of what life is about and what's, what's really valuable, what our principles are. So um, that's just to broaden that concept of work a little bit. Sure, sure. So, so there's an inherent need to go out and to do something just to, to keep yourself moving and to make yourself a better gift. So obviously each of us have different things that we do for our work outside of this podcast. And one of the things for myself is I go out and I look at individuals, people's houses about potentially buying them. And when I say I go to every single house range, I mean it. I have been from houses that, 
people would have to pay me to take to ones <laughs> where I got to chuck out seven figure checks. So I have seen it all. And for one reason or another, one of the most common groups of people who call me up are landlords, particularly landlords that don't want to be landlords anymore. So I see a lot of people, how they're living, both as homeowners and as the tenants, um, throughout the course of my day. And I can say with direct firsthand knowledge, now granted I get that that's anecdotal, but the less the people pay in rent, the more contents they leave behind. And the more that they pay in rent, or if I'm buying their house directly, the higher the price I'm buying the house for, the more of their stuff they take. So I I bring that up because I believe that this is all correlated. When I'm going through a house with a tenant in it, I am way more likely to see a tenant actually physically there. You know, And I'm looking at these houses basically between 10 and 4 o'clock. Physically there when their rent is either subsidized or significantly under market value. And because essentially they're getting paid not to go, to not to participate. And the drive for work, it, it just, it's either gnawing at them or not existent, I guess is my example of, of seeing it. And the reason I bring this up is because the need for work is important, but you're also doing work in exchange for something in its inherent nature. Um, you know, we go out, we hire a bunch of contractors who do the manual lifting. They move the earth so we can dig the foundation. Well, they don't do that just because they want to say they did something today. They want to be able to support their families and take care of it. So there's an exchange. I needed this done and we do that. And that's how ultimately getting into production, how, how this will go. So if there is a mechanism that keeps people from wanting to participate, it actually ends up hurting the entire process involved. And here's the reason why it sounds counterintuitive. If there's less people who are willing to work, inherently there's a bigger demand for the workers, which means the employers need to pay everyone more. As a result the cost of that work has gone up. So what you have is a situation where a job may only be worth 10 units, but now as an employer, you have to pay six units. So what you end up trying to do is figuring out a way to eliminate that job, which is why you see things at McDonald's where you punch in your own order or self-checkouts. Because there's been people not participating, it actually is taking away the starting opportunity for people who want to participate. Now, that's on a very global scale, particularly maybe regional to America, but from an economic standpoint, that's true regardless. So I wanted to bring that up because the people who... Now, staying in bed all day is kind of an exaggeration, but just don't want to participate and find a way where they do less than what would be naturally in order to just kind of 
skip around ends up severely detrimenting everyone, not just themselves, but those around them. And then ultimately the next wave of people that come through. So we've talked before from a spiritual sense about how doing good will spread good around you. And this is from a natural order standpoint, because this is my livelihood. I'm very familiar with this, how the negative can spur as well. So before I go too far, I want to give you an opportunity to jump in here. Well, this is great, Joe. I'm really enjoying this. Uh, and, and again, I, I have to give the disclaimer about myself for the sake of our listeners. I mean, these are not areas that I have uh, delved into at, in an extensive way. Uh, so I just want to admit my own, uh, somewhat of my own ignorance. And that's why I also appreciate the concrete examples you're giving uh, in terms of economic theory. So I would, uh, for a point of reflection, I would first of all say, I really appreciate you know, uh, your example and I, I'm taking that in. One of the things that came to me while you were talking about that was uh, what's more important, that we have McDonald's food or that we have people that are thriving? And so, uh, you know, you were talking about the, the loss of jobs. When you have fewer people working, then it drives the prices up. And then, uh, you know, you, then it becomes motivational to make even less people working. I think that was the, the logical strain there. And um, so, yeah, we want more, more people working, but we want more people working so that we have more people working. <laughs> we don't want more people working so that we have more McDonald's or something or that we have, uh, you know. And in fact, part of the issue becomes uh, we want to pay for value. And where our values are in society is also a question. You know, it's in earlier times, we have places like St. Peter's Basilica because we actually supported people who spent their entire life carving some of the statues that are in there. And we still appreciate those statues 500 years later. But we would never pay someone to create the things in St. Peter's Basilica now because our values have gotten so twisted around that we don't have a sense of investing for 500 years. We don't have a sense of investing in beauty we don't have a sense of investing, actually paying the, the adequate way, a living wage, you know. And so I don't know how the payment worked in 1500, um, but essentially that person had enough to support themselves and their families. And that's a, a principle of Catholic social teaching. Pope Pius XI spoke it in very extreme terms in Quadragesio uh, Anno. A, I'm missing a syllable in there. Um, and when he said, you know, it is, it is a grave offense for an employer to pay someone too little to support himself and his family. So think of it in that sense, you know, like if, if a person is working at McDonald's to support themselves and their family, and we're giving them a wage that's so low that they can't do that, that's a grave offense. Now, he wasn't talking in McDonald's land uh, quite as much back in 1930 or whenever that was. But just to, I'm just trying to throw some ideas out that might uh, put a little ref point of reflection in our, our very capitalist mentality. And again, I'm not anti-capitalism by any means. Unbridled capitalism is problematic. Communism is problematic. 
uh, uh, capitalism that actually reinforces, that doesn't simply eliminate, you know, if we don't have enough jobs, we just eliminate all of them and replace them with robots. Capitalism does that, but Catholic social teaching does not do that. You know, so uh, again, and Catholic social teaching doesn't dictate the response to that, but it values the person, not the money, not the product as primary. The person is always primary. And, and so I don't know if I said anything useful there. I just uh, throwing some, you know, as I hear what you're saying and just kind of processing some of this out loud um, and just to offer some principles from a little different perspective than we might normally look at them. Sure. And, and that's not that they're necessarily discounting the person by any stretch. It's just a, a starting point of economics. Every person who's receiving a paycheck has to create more value to the company than they are getting paid or else the entire company will go bankrupt and no one will have a job. That's an inherent job of an employee to give more to the company than they receive, just as it is in virtually every other teaching. You have to be there. Now, the reason I bring up that example as far as the guy who's – Oh, go ahead. I'm just thinking about this, and again, I, I'm so nervous about people who know a lot more than I do, and you know, I don't want to upset anybody, but just to, uh, my, my first thought is, but if a company were like a family, if you had some people that were more productive and some people that were less productive, the company would still survive. The importance is not that every individual employee adds value, but that the company itself continues to grow in value. And, and there's a way that we could support our weaker brothers and sisters who are doing the best they can but can't quite keep up because I do a lot more. And it's the reality, you know, I do a lot more than a number of my brother priests, and I don't resent that. I'm able to do it, and I'm happy to do it, and I'm happy to take the, that, that part of the workload, and I can do a lot more. So anyway. I'm just... Sure, and, and you're not wrong there. What I'm saying is on average. So your average – teller um collecting the 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 checks and the cash for the orders on average they have to bring in more money than their wages or else they wouldn't be able to pay the guys who are flipping the the burgers in the back the managers so on and so forth so yeah you always will have individuals in a certain position be better or worse than others that's inevitable and it'd be weird if it wasn't that way. But on average, that position needs to create more value than it costs. And it's like that on every single position in an entity. Um, so that that way, as an average, the company brings in at least as much money as it has to pay out for its own dealings. And that doesn't even get into any of the taxing stuff or anything like that because that's not this this episode. So from just a practical business standpoint, it has to be that way. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not valuing that employee or you're not valuing one family member more than another. It's just the way that it is. It it has to be that way um, or else no one would ever work. And that's why people have incentive structures that say if you do good, you move up the chain. So you end up doing something with more responsibility. 
And the reason I started with essentially the, the first job people get is for most of us, the work skills need to be learned. Most of us don't inherently wake up and instinctually listen to someone to do something that they probably really don't want to do, but they're only doing because they want to have a summer job. They want to be able to go and spend money on stuff. You have to learn all that skills. And as we're phasing out the opportunity of entry, it's going to create a schism where people Mm -hmm. will not have the ability to jump in and learn. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a professor. You have seen people throughout a number of years and you can see how it has shifted. People used to be a lot more receptive in going out and doing things that may or may not have a direct and immediate payout, but it will better them for something down the road. And now if there's not an immediate what's in it for me, what am I going to do to this? And part of this goes back to what you were saying before, a desire to invest for the future, to pay workers to create something that will be magnificent. Now, I do think that still exists here. I just think that Twofold, I think that our desire of what has become beautiful has shifted, and there's just been a general overall mindset of what is important. But I still do think inherently we all do have these natural callings that we have discussed, not just throughout this cast, but a longing to know God, a longing to know our place, a desire to be better, all this stuff that intermingles. So... That was where I wanted to start with the danger of outrooting the entry point. Because once you're in the workflow and you've developed a skill, you've become very good at something, people who are good at a trait, especially a trait that is desirable, always are employed. It's the people who haven't pushed themselves to become in the top level of their particular field that have the issues. And it doesn't matter what that field is. It can be the best guy at stocking shelves, you know, the best waiter, um, the best CEO, whatever you want to think about it. If you're the best at something, you will have an opportunity to go do it somewhere else, even if the company mm-hmm. you're at wasn't a good fit. Which gets back to, from my standpoint as the individual, why it's important to push yourself to be the best because just because you're going to be the best doesn't necessarily mean that you're in a situation where that company particularly values you because that's the other element. Not every company is going to be as good as valuing as employees as others. But if you're the best contractor or the best carpenter or the best um, cashier and you're in a company that you just don't want to be here anymore because it's not treating you right, you will have the skill set sometimes we call that a resume to go somewhere else that can, that can benefit you better. And maybe it's a better paycheck. Maybe it's just better working conditions. And then each individual chooses how to factor in all those multiple variables to what chooses them. So I just want to tangent yeah. there and we don't have a whole lot of time left. I'd like to give you a chance to, to bring this one home. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And I, I would just, uh, you know, a little reflection that comes to me as you say that is, uh, yeah, the the idea of a competence hierarchy, we uh, we certainly um, need to recognize that 
that there's a, a competence hierarchy that's that's beneficial for everybody. You know, we want the best brain surgeons doing brain surgery. We, you know, we we don't want uh, so somebody else. You know, we don't want a med student. We don't want a, a person who uh, is, struggles adding two numbers together to do brain surgery. Um, I guess the uh, so the competence hierarchy is is certainly a value, and then I would say the other thing, kind of related again to how we value things, um, you know, is the person who has a lot of relational skills, you know, maybe not some other skills. Do we do we value the full range of human giftedness, or do we have a limited concept of the range of of what's gifting, you know, of human gifting, and so we don't look at someone's capacity for empathy or somebody's sensitivity to the harmony of an environment or that we don't uh, value someone's capacity to be an influencer even though they don't actually get stuff done um, but they're able to spread an idea uh, you know and, and sometimes people spend so much time trying to be something they're not that that also they're low on one competence hierarchy and they stay low there because they just don't have those gifts but Meanwhile, they would be in a better place in another competence hierarchy, but in some cases that competence hierarchy doesn't exist or it doesn't pay enough. We don't actually value the skills that are there and that's to our uh, detriment. That's not to our advantage. So um, those would be the kinds of reflections I would post there. But anyway, a, a wonderful discussion with you, Joe. These are uh, areas that I can also learn things. You have a lot more experience and, and uh, in the details than, than I do. And hopefully I can bring a little bit from a Catholic perspective to uh, reflect on those ideas. Perfect. Perfect. And actually we'll start off our next cast by addressing that. So I do thank everyone for listening here this week and we will be again here with you next week. Please thank you for continuing to spread the cast and we'll be with you here next week. <laughs>